We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. You know, a lot of it has to do with when I was in art history, they call connoisseurship. It's when you're a restaurant critic and you go out to eat, you are mentally comparing that dish to every other version you've ever had. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Today on the show, we have a really, really, really great conversation with two of the most respected people in food, Ruth Reuschel and Nancy Silverton. We came together at Rizzoli Bookstore in Manhattan to talk about Nancy's great new book, The Cookie That Changed My Life. Ruth and Nancy have been friends for decades, and we cover a wide variety of topics. I hope you enjoy this conversation. One of our guests tonight is Nancy Silverton. She's a celebrated restaurateur. She's the only chef ever to be awarded both the Outstanding Chef and Outstanding Pastry Chef Awards from the James Beard Foundation. And um, she's also the author of the fabulous new book, uh, The Cookie That Changed My Life. So good. Um, and we also have a very a second very special guest tonight. We're joined by Ruth Reichel, the legendary editor-in-chief of Gourmet Magazine and New York Times bestselling author of numerous books, including Save Me the Plums and the forthcoming novel, The Paris Novel. Um, and our host is Matt Rodbard, founding editor of the award-winning Taste. So um, this is our last event of the year. We couldn't be luckier to wrap up the year like this uh, with these guests. Um, so they're going to be in conversation together for about 30, 40 minutes uh, with time afterward for audience questions. And now let's give a very warm welcome to Nancy and Ruth and Matt. Thank you. I, I just want to say thank you, guests. And first, we're going to have Jamie Oliver here on the 24th of January. So mark your calendars. Hello. Hello. Thank you for coming by. You were just in Italy. You just flew in from Pittsburgh. It means a lot that you made the time. Appreciate it. Pleasure. What a great book you've written. Oh, thank you. We're going to talk about it, but let's jump into it. So holiday cookie season. How do you judge a holiday cookie? Do you, Both mean, of you. do you mean, is it a Christmas tree shape or what does that mean? Or <laughs> No, like for like a cookie box, a swap. We're oh. like in swap mode right now. We're, we're planning. Um, and and each say? Nancy, well, you first and then we'll do it. Okay. Back. So uh, are you saying what in my new book, what I say is appropriate? Sure. I love that. Uh, let's go besides there. Besides all of them. I guess one would think chocolate. Okay. Is that a good start? I or, think so. Okay. So there's a, I think a delicious chocolate cookie that uh, is in the book. I was trying, well, let me just say really quickly that the the book was trying to um, either recreate or create the best of everything in every single category. And some things didn't have a name. So for instance, yeah. Claudia Fleming's ginger cake is in that book because who could make a better ginger cake than Claudia Fleming's ginger cake? Um, but other ones are original for myself. Um, those that are uh, are ones that uh, everyone knows from a carrot cake to a pineapple upside down cake. But then there is a chocolate cookie that would be called like maybe my favorite ultimate chocolate cookie. So it doesn't have a memorable name, but it has a memorable flavor. So it's uh, sort of, it's an open face cookie as opposed to a sandwich cookie, but it's a 
cookie, I would describe the bottom kind of in an Oreo kind mm-hmm. of flavor palette. And the top is one of those kinds of uh, chewy cookies that kind of um, are that are a little bit too sweet and crack. And so because I find them a little too sweet, but I love the texture, I kind of bake them on top of this Oreo cookie base that's kind of bitter. But it is indulgent and yeah. it could be a great Christmas cookie. That's the one, Ruth. How, do you, how would you judge a holiday cookie? I think I need to start by saying I have never been a cookie person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're just sitting there and waiting to say that. Well, no, I mean, this was a real problem when I got to Gourmet because they had for years done a cookie Christmas cover. And yeah. the first year I didn't want to do it. And everybody had to say to me, you know, this will be a disaster. You must do. And over the 10 years that I was there, I really came to understand the joy of cookies. And um, I would say that looks are really important for Christmas cookies and, you know, and color. I mean, there's a lot about using sprinkles and color and it's the cookie collections that we did. And one year we did do because Richard Ferretti, our brilliant, design director one year wanted wanted them to do understated cookies and they were actually they were gorgeous but i don't think the biggest hit i mean you, we all loved them you want some sprinkles you want you yeah. want well, you want or some, indulgence or, i'll yeah. still argue that chocolate still well, has a cho- place. you know chocolate is always a winner yeah, mm-hmm. definitely so nancy this book remarkable Remarkable you. because you, blend. but you haven't baked from it yet. I haven't baked from it yet. That's true. Um, I, I'm more of the words guy when I write and read. I, I think about head notes, and your head notes are fantastic. But the, as you mentioned, the concept is it's taking this 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 lifetime, fifty years in the industry of baking and fi- making the like figuring out the best version. Why were of you... desserts that most of them I had never made before? So why... Like I never made a lemon bar before. How were you, you up know? for this? How are you up for this? This is like a crazy task. Well, you know, I had time. 2021 was a slow year. So <laughs> that's so good. I had time. You know, everybody was, you know, baking their way through sourdough bread. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't really feel the need to do that. And so I guess subconsciously I had the need to do something. And this sort of kind of happened. You had a rhythm during this 21 lifetime. Yep. And that, yeah, but having that time to really focus in, you know, Look, at lots of times, I think even when we cook, but um, I know that I'm guilty of it too, when you're pressured to have come up with, say, 110 plus recipes, sometimes you get to a recipe and you think, you know, that's good enough and you kind of stop there. But I didn't stop it good enough. I didn't stop until I thought it was the best version that I could possibly make. And sometimes that was, you know, two dozen or more tries. We'll get into the lemon bars. We'll get into the scones. We'll, we'll get there. But Ruth, how do you call something the best as an editorial person? Well, you know, a lot of it has to do with when I was in art history, they call connoisseurship. You know, I mean, it's when you, you're a restaurant critic and you go out to eat, you are mentally comparing that dish to every other version you've ever had. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think it's, you know, as a young cook or a young critic, I think it's probably hard to say this is the best that that can be. But when you've been doing it for 50 years, 
um, you know, it's pretty easy to go through that memory bank and go, well, this chocolate cake is um, maybe half as good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about restaurants? And, you know, restaurants, it's the same thing. Um, you, you're just... I mean, restaurants are more complicated because you're not just talking about flavor, texture, yeah, et cetera. You're talking about a night, a performance. You're, you're, you're talking about the whole performance of mm-hmm. it. But you do, you have a lot in there to, you know, to judge against. Right. We'll get to some of your favorites and your not favorites. But Nancy, <laughs> <laughs> we, we all came you for that. answer that question. But Nancy, let's talk about lemon bars. Let's go there. Okay. In the head note, you write, purists beware. Which, you know, shots fired a bit. Yeah. What, what were you doing with the lemon bar idea? And tell us about the lemon bar you landed on is the best. Well, the reason why I said purist beware is that I tried to stick as closely as I could to the original version of something. I didn't want to stray too far because uh, that wasn't the intention of the book. So I tried it to respect the... Uh, the originality of each recipe. And a lemon bar, as we all know, is uh, a baked lemon custard on usually a cookie dough or a cake, um, but a uh, dessert that I could never understand uh, the appeal. I thought it was always too sweet. Yes. Um, it, uh, I, I could, the look of it when that powdered sugar inevitably melted into the custard as it sat and sweated, you know, that was just really unappealing oh, to yeah. me. And then because of the way, because of the, the egginess and the, and the bakeness of it, it always had kind of a sulfury aftertaste. I just, I really, that was, you know, kind of a little bit camouflaged by the overly sweetness of it. Anyway, I hated it, but not I, a fan, right? Yeah. So you questions it. you think I liked them? Never, ever, ever. And I didn't grow up with them and they had no yeah. um, sentimentality, nothing, you know, to me. Yeah. But but I felt like because of what this book was supposed to be about, it had to have a lemon bar in it. And uh, finally, um, after so many um, tries and, and, and closing the book to having one, but then realizing a couple weeks later I had to have one, I settled on a compromise between one of my favorite tarts, which is a lemon curd tart, a simple crunch custard tart that is where the lemon curd is baked um, in a bowl over uh, bain-marie and filled and set. And that was really my compromise, but it's so not no powdered true sugar. lemon. And yeah, but powdered sugar to order. Oh. So instead of powdered sugar. Yeah, a la minute. I love that. So, and then you get that that nice contrast and that white dusting on top, but it doesn't have the chance to melt and sweat into the It's custard. such a good tip. And and I feel like most lemon bars are not good. Now that you've like- Agreed. Point- what do you think of lemon bars? Well, you know, at, at anybody who has listened to the first <laughs> one of our podcasts- Three Ingredients on Substack, which launched last week. Yeah, shout out. We have a fight about lemons oh, in did? it. Oh, we did? I don't even yeah, remember. Where you, about... <laughs> um, and Laurie Cho, right? You and and yes, the three of us are doing it. And um, I really love lemons. Um, I mean, I my first too. cookbook, I have an entire chapter on lemons. Um, and I like lemons to be really tart. And Nancy is extolling the joy of Meyer lemons, which I in think are just dessert. a ridiculous idea. 
a lemon oh, to bake with Lentmeyer. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's a lemon that's tar- crossed with a tangerine. Yeah. Why would you want to do that to a poor unsuspecting lemon? But I don't lemon? have. I don't have um, Meyer lemons in the lemon. I I know, and I this this tart is yeah. it it has, it's tart, which yes. I like a lot. It's cool. Yeah. I would probably add a little more lemon zest myself. Oh, we got notes happening, and uh, <laughs> all right. Let me ask both of you. This book is about memory. It's about your life. You know, baking fifty years back. You've been working in the kitchen. I'd like to ask you. I've been wondering about this for a while. Is there something that we, that you baked maybe in the seventies or eighties that you just can't achieve anymore. That like it is trapped in time. Well, abstract I, question. Yeah. So when you say the seventies, you know, I wasn't a child then. Yeah. I was already a grown person in the seventies. But, but is there like something like in terms of like ingredients back then? Maybe they changed over time that you were searching for. That something that maybe you attempted to make, but you just couldn't nail it from that memory back in the day. You know, there is. There's one uh, dessert that I used to do at Michael's Restaurant. Now, this is in 1979, so does that fit into the 70s? You know what? I just threw a decade out there. A, I made it by a year. Okay. And it was something that was so delicious, and I could never make it as good as we made it there. And that was the creme brulee tart. And it was um, not the creme brulee that we know it, that custard baked in a bain-marie in the oven, you know, and just, um, just set. This was... I guess it was Jimmy Brinkley who was the chef at, or the pastry chef at Michael's, his own version. I think he got it from um, L'Hermitage, where it was um, uh, a deep um, uh, a deep uh, crust of puff pastry was blind baked in a cake pan, uh, fully baked. And then it was filled with a creme brulee, the style of it baked on, on top of the stove until it was the right thickness that when poured into the into the shell, it set up in the refrigerator. And then he just um, crumbled brown sugar on top and burnt that. And it was just something that was so craveable. And I remember, uh, not for this book, because it wouldn't have fit into the 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 premise, but a few years ago thinking, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to revisit that tart. And I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Ruth, is there something trapped in time? Um, but it's, it's trapped in time more about memory than about the ingredients. Um, when I first was you know, cooking pr- professionally, kind of, um, at the Swallow restaurant in Berkeley, I would go in um, this is like the early 70s, and I would bake 12 quiches every morning. And people would come in and go, what's a quiche? Oh, and funny. <laughs> nobody had ever, in you know, in Berkeley, California, wow. nobody had ever heard of a quiche. And they were kind of magical, and we did yeah. them, you know, we really, we made really great pie crust and blind baked it. And so you had that really crisp crust and then the joy, another custard. (laughs) This is the custard conversation. But um, the taste of those, because they were so unfamiliar and rich and textured, and now, you know, you get a quiche and it's like... They're frozen. A lot of them are. Well, that's because you're calling them a quiche now. I think you have to go back to quiche. quiche. I'd like to have the quiche, and maybe it'll be a lot better. All right. Nancy, I'm going to quote you. Quote from the book. I've never really understood the appeal of the traditional British-style scones. 
find them to be dry, heavy, and lacking in flavor. I figured traditional scones were an acquired taste that I had not acquired. So, Nancy, how did you actually figure out to make a scone worthwhile in this book? You know, I, you know, another, and I, I don't know if in that recipe I also elaborated. I think the quote may have been longer that what, you, you know, um, when we think of scones, I think that we're, we think of the American version of a scone, which is really much more like a flaky biscuit. And I couldn't get, I can't get that, um, that flavor or that texture kind of out of my mind because that's how I think a scone to be. When I eat a traditional British or Scottish or Irish scone, um, I can. they just always did seem so dry and hard and you understood why people ate them with jam and with uh, clotted cream, right? But I wanted to come up with a version that I would even like. Now, I can't say it's my favorite recipe in the book because it's not my favorite recipe. And what I is actually your favorite just, recipe? I'll tell you in a minute. So that I made a version that I liked. I mean, I still, st- I didn't try to Americanize it. I still, you know, in the end result, it still was kind of dry. But I tried every version that I could find, including lard and all different, you know, you know, butter and no butter and eggs. And I came up with the version that gave me the right color because I don't like, I can't get away from that whiteness of any kind of dessert unless it's a a boiled frosting, you know, but I got, I came up with that one that had color, but I also, I noticed that in cutting in the earlier stages of doing this, when I would cut out the scone and I would bake it and it would have that smooth kind of um, shape that didn't, that seemed so hard and dry and, and red that way. And then I would take the scraps and just kind of lump them together and bake them. I noticed that the ones that were lumped together at least visually looked a lot more appealing. And so instead of patting this dough out and cutting it into a circle or a triangle, what I did is I just chopped it into pieces and gently put them together. And wow. then the way they baked was just very irregular and it did give it a much, visually a much better shape. And I did choose to add currants that were mm. soaked in, uh, in, um, you know, in scotch or brandy or rum, whatever alcohol I, I, I chose that time, which helped with the flavor. Um, so all in all, I did come up with one that I thought was pleasant. And that's about as far that's as That's about as get. good as best gets for you is pleasant. Okay. I'm going to quote you again. There are few things in the world that all New Yorkers agree on, but one of those things is that crumb cake should be equal parts cake and crumb. Okay. Right? Audience, New Yorkers, is hands up. Equal parts? Yeah. Equal parts. I mean, so that like equal okay, parts, Ruth's there yeah. too. Okay, we got about thirty percent. Really? What's what is the other percent? Yeah, so what do we like? We like more are we more crumb, crumb? to cake or more are we cake more crumb, crumb here? Who likes crumb? We got New Yorkers in the audience. Yeah. Okay, all right. This wasn't. I wasn't meant to. I wasn't trying to pick oh, on you. No, no, I not, understand. Definitely that. not. But I think that that's you know what I was trying to point out is there's a real difference between a New York style crumb cake that one and a um, coffee cake that has streusel on top is that not only is there the ratio of the crumb to the cake, but also that the crumb on top is really like clods, right? Big hunks of crumb. And so almost like a meal. Yeah. It's like an extra meal. It's like a (laughs) bonus, you know? Now, how could you not like that when you say you don't like desserts? Do you like, could you like near a crumb cake? I oh now you're just yes. reminding me you want to know a a 
flavor I have never had again. The cookery on A Street when I was a kid had a cherry um, on, yeah, no, East. It was uh, University and A Street. They had a cherry crumb cake that I I would, it's like a flavor that's locked in my head that I would give anything to taste again. I'm thinking about this a lot. Like we've got these taste memories that we can't achieve for a lot of reasons. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And once we go back to have them and they, we realize that, well, the tastes have changed. <laughs> it wasn't right? so good. Yeah, it wasn't but so I, good. But I think that was really good. Yeah. <laughs> so what was it? It had just cherry. It was like sour cherries. Uh-huh. It was like a cake oh, with man. sour cherries and crumbs on top. And it was wonderful. It's And my friend's uncle owned that restaurant. And we used to mm. wait tables there when we were little kids and get paid oh. in cherry crumb cake. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I got to ask you both about brownies. Brownies, to me, are often not great. What makes a brownie memorable? I'll ask you, Nancy, and Ruth will follow. Well, I think you have to define what you like in a brownie, right? Do you like fudgy or or cakey? What do you like? Personally, fudgy all the way. Fudgy. Yeah, I'm not about texture. I'm about the actual density. I found out that I like that texture, that fudgy texture, but it was very... Um, difficult to eat too much of until I realized I prefer my fudgy brownie cold out of the refrigerator. And then I think it's really delicious. Well, you have another thing in the book, which I think is brilliant. I mean, you made me want to make brownies again, reading this book, which I never think about making brownies, but, um, and part of it is texture. So you've got the fudgy bottom, but it really doesn't work unless you've got like a crinkly cakey top. Yeah. And that, to me, is like what defines a great brownie is when you get both textures. Yeah. Break through that, yeah. that, that top break layer. that crackle. Yeah, yeah, that roof of it. Yeah. Huh. What's your favorite recipe? Let's go there. I think everyone's on the edge of their seats for Ruth's well, original it's not, question. It's not necessarily the f- f- a favorite because, you know, you can't have favorites. However, one that, like, I'm so proud of, like, oh, that's why I'm so smart is I think <laughs> – is the cornbread. And I think I've talked to you about this, right? Have I? I no. Oh, okay. So I'll, now I didn't grow up eating cornbread and my mother didn't make it and she didn't make food that you would eat along with cornbread. So I'm not a cornbread aficionado. I know a lot of people are. Um, when I've had it in my adult life, I never quite understood it because it wasn't a bread. And all I used to taste in it was the sweetness of, say, honey. But it never tasted like corn, but maybe it's not supposed to. I know it has cornmeal, and maybe it doesn't have the right name. Maybe it should be renamed. But I always felt like it needed to taste like corn. Um, In the last couple books that included a cornbread of mine, I tried to do different things that I thought made it a little better. But I never, I always knew in the back of my mind, this isn't perfect yet. So I, you know, I, I, I converted to making a cast iron pan, which I loved. I added sage. I added brown butter. Wow. I tried to. but Plot not a, twist. Yeah. and nice. But then I thought uh, I tried to add corn, but I thought when you had those whole kernels of corn, it had that texture of every time you took a bite, you wanted to spit out, you know, whatever that piece was. So instead I used a Japanese corn creamer and I creamed, you know, I creamed the corn. I drained it knowing as a baker, you can't add all that extra liquid without making your corn bread or a cake too heavy. Um, and so this time I was determined to make a cornbread that tasted like corn 
Um, I certainly bought Anson Mill, which is a great cornmeal, fresh cornmeal. Um, you know, the the one, the whole grain, so it was, you know, has all the flex of the uh, of the outside. I did everything like that. And then I almost stooped so low as I bought a can of cream corn from Erwan, so it had no Oh, my gosh. We haven't even gotten there. We're going to get there. I thought that's going to be the answer. You know, that's going to give me the corniness that I think it lacks. So I opened up that can. I looked at it. I couldn't do it. And so it was like, now what am I going to do? So I thought, you know, I'm going to do what I did before, which is use that Japanese corn creamer and cream my corn, which slashes the kernels, right? And it releases all the milk in them. But this time I'm going to reduce that milk instead of throwing it away. And maybe I'll reduce it by a couple tablespoons or in half or something like that. So creamed, strained, poured that liquid in a pan. And as soon as it came up to temperature... It made a pudding because of all the cornstarch in it, right? All the starch in it. It became a pudding. And I'm like, oh, wow. And I tasted it. And it was like, it's corn. So I chilled it and stirred that back into the cornbread and then baked it. And it was Mm. like, wow, this tastes like corn. The texture did not, was not affected by this element. No, not because it was a put. it was thickened, you know, it wasn't. And so that really was like, okay, this is a great recipe. Because no one, I don't think yeah. everybody here is making that. Oh, and I know, right. now, can I, now can I tell you one, tell you one other one that I did something a little bit similar and that was with the carrot cake. Um, you know, I've a always, real, I, a real polarizing dish. Well, I love carrot. You don't no, like carrot I cake? I love it. Of Do course. Do you like carrot but, cake? I did. And oh, it ha- yeah. you know, it has to have cream cheese frosting and everything like that. So I know you're out there who don't mine like Mine did have cream cheese frosting, but I did a brown butter cream cheese frosting. And I think that really added another layer of flavor. But the same thing with Carrot cake. Loved it because I love the texture. I love the spice in it. I love the cream cheese. But carrot cake never tastes like carrots. You know, you need that grated corn, carrot. So I kind of said to the few people that were left in the pastry department, actually the one person that was left in the pastry department during 2021, and said, have you, do you have any suggestion on making my carrot cake better. Have you heard of anyone doing anything different? And she was really shy and she barely, you know, could probably, couldn't really hear her. She had said, well, there was somebody I knew that they used to roast their carrots. And I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to try that. And sure enough, I roasted the carrots for this carrot cake. I still grated them because you want to see the, you know, the pieces of carrot. But again, a carrot cake that finally tasted like carrots. So... Those are the kinds of recipes that I really had fun with in the book. Yeah. Because, you know, um, you know, so often we just sort of um, develop our own recipes by just building off of somebody else's. And we just don't stop to think of how can we make it better. And, that's and the pandemic allowed you to just stop and think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it really is truly a remarkable book. But um, those are the, I mean... That's yeah, good. no, because you went to many sources and you got the time to do that. I, I highly recommend you all checking it out. A few more questions. We'll take some from the audience. We haven't really gotten to Italy. I mean, Ruth, you're here because you guys are buddies. Like, you guys are road buddies. You guys go and travel all over the place. So and it, we even share the same room. Oh, and, yeah. and, and sometimes even the same bed. Yeah. Hey, man. And if you want to know, we're two people who don't move at all at night. <laughs> the best. It's a partner you want. So... Let's talk about Italy because you're there. You're there quite, quite a bit. You just returned. What, what's good in Italy right now, Nancy? Life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where, where are you guys going next? What's your, what's your next trip together? The two together. 
Well, we just came back from Marseille, which was mm. I- incredible. It's not just Bouillabaisse, right? In, in fact, <laughs> it's, it's, it's barely Bouillabaisse at all anymore. I mean, it, it, it is the most diverse city I've ever been in and the most unfrench French city you can possibly be in. They hate the Parisians and they pride themselves on not being Paris. And didn't did you think it was great? I loved it. And we have to ask James, who was on our trip. Great. <laughs> did you like Marseille, Josh? I mean, Josh, sorry. Did you like, well, you know, the J. Did you like uh, Marseille? Yeah. <laughs> Josh, uh, he concurs that it was a great trip. So, so where where are you going next? What's the me personally? Yeah, Italy. I'm going to. I just got back from Italy yesterday. I'm going to go to San Diego. Does that count? I mean, that's not Italy, but it's close enough. So, Lanai. Okay, tell me about it. So, I'm opening a restaurant on in at the Four Seasons in Lanai. Yeah, and so we're doing a pop up. (laughs) Oh wow, here we go. But it will be like a your marketing team is here. Okay, good. And after that, Mexico City for a wedding. Oh, cool. All right. That's cool. How about you, Ruth? I'm going to L.A. to visit Nancy. (laughs) Um, And um, then in March, I'm probably going to Japan. Oh, cool. Um, You didn't tell me this. With Joan Nathan. Oh, you are? Yeah. Um, What's the schedule? What's the itinerary? It's it's a fermentation trip. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And I mean, I think there are a bunch of food people going on it. We're going to go, you know, look at where, you know, soy sauce and stuff like that. Oh, my gosh. And I've been dying to go back to Japan. We went to Japan with on one of our girls trips with what? Robin. With Robin and... Um, we were lucky enough to have Hiro Sone go mm-hmm. with us, and Hiro like made it's really different being in Japan with Japanese people than yeah. being there on your own. Yeah, I just I, I follow you both, and and your travels are inspiring. Um, do you plan them in a detailed way? You're both pretty detail oriented. Do you have uh, like a pretty rigorous itinerary? I, I am the least detail-oriented person you will ever you, want me. Yes, you make reservations. You are so good at researching. <laughs> I hate making I know, But you do such a good job. But the last couple of trips are actually trips that are done through academic... Academic event. travel. Travel. Oh, ATA, yeah. And so it's Good. a planned trip. Yeah. And we help, you know, we put our input. And this year, where are we going? It'll be Next, We're going to Bordeaux. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, oh, cool. And, um, and Biritz. Oh, great. Well, I'll definitely look out for those cool grams. Um, last question before we get to our flash round. Nancy, what was the cookie that changed your life? The peanut butter cookie on the cover. So let's talk about it. We're here in front of friends and family. <laughs> okay. So, I'd love to hear that story. Okay. You know, and I wanted to name the book, by the way, uh, The Peanut Butter Cookie That Changed My Life because it's a story and it did. And that went they wouldn't accept it. And that was, you know, <laughs> marketing, right? The marketing department at any publisher oh, is just really difficult. And said, nope, too many people have peanut allergies. So it's the cookie that changed my life that they went to, even though they said, everyone's going to think it's a cookie book. And I said, no, they're not. And sure enough, everybody comes up to me and says, I love your new cookie book. I'm like, <laughs> it's not a cookie book, but anyway, they'll get it eventually. But, um, so why did it change? Well, I've had yeah, it come up. Come so, um, Michael, who I live with, had brought back a peanut butter cookie that was made 
from uh, my friend Roxana, who not only worked with me at Campanile for a couple of years, has a great bakery in Los Angeles called Friends and Family. Um, and there was this peanut butter cookie that visually looked like a perfect peanut butter cookie, meaning it had rounded edges. It cracked in the middle. When I when I broke it open, it was clearly soft and chewy. Everything a peanut butter cookie was supposed to be. I ate it. It tasted like a peanut butter cookie. And uh, although I'd like to pretend that I'm not competitive, I cannot stand when somebody does something better than me. So I like stared at that peanut butter cookie and I said, I'm going to make a better version, but I really mean a different version because hers is perfect. Um, anyway, I had her recipe because I had recently done a quote for her book and I had her PDF on my phone. Um, and so I looked it up and I took that cookie recipe as a base and thought, what? how can you make a peanut butter cookie better? Visually, it was perfect. So the only way to make it better is to make it even more peanut buttery. You catch and the theme here, what audience, I did. right? Well, We're going for intense flavors. Yeah, yeah, but it's a peanut butter cookie that thinks it's a tart or a tart probably that thinks it's a peanut butter cookie. Ha, that's it's one so of great. the two. But so, so what great. I did, and I just sort of went to what I did um, with a few tweakings, but that really was one of the easier recipes. And it was, you know, I, I, um, I rolled it into a ball. I made a divot. I filled it with yeah peanut butter. I put it in the oven. I set it. I put all these um, salted uh, Spanish peanuts with the skin on top, put it back in the oven. And and that's what I came up with. And I thought, okay, this probably is the best peanut butter cookie I ever ate. And then it really got me thinking that what I would love between the covers of a baking book were all the recipes that I really want to bake. You know, I always say like anyone that says they love making croissants at home or Queen Amman or Babka, I say is lying. Yeah. Who, no, who wants real? Who has a sheeter at go home? Go to a bakery who is and a get that. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, but but also, you know, in my day of cooking, and I think everybody else that's my age can attest to the fact that when we wanted to make something, an apple pie, right, and we wanted to look it up, we you know, went to our cookbook shelf and we picked out a book of a recipe that we liked the author and we looked up their recipe for apple pie and we made it. But now with that damn Google, you know, you Google apple pie and you get 15,000 suggestions and you think, where do you start? So I wanted to take that that work out of the people that would buy my book and say, here is the best apple pie and here is the best apple crisp and here is the best lemon. Love pie. it. Should buy it. On this is Ace, we ask guests about their discerning taste. So to close this interview, here's a little rapid fire, fast and furious taste check. Are you ready? The best breakfast food. Each of you answer. Coffee. <laughs> Matzo brai. Ooh. The best dessert. I think maybe an apple crisp. Okay. A perfect peach. So good. Your favorite American fast food chain. You're, you're horrified. Oh, wow. No, I'm not. I'm thinking. Is LA's it, what, where it was invented. Right. But I'm just thinking like I can't say I like In-N-Out. You know, my yeah. fast American, and it has to be a chain. Well, yeah, that means more than one. I would say three rapid. equals a chain. Chainlet. You well, started I, with. I would say wow, bow, because my husband is insane. Yeah. Um, you know, it's Bruce Koss's yeah. um, bow. Um, they're, they're, they're in airports now. Oh. Wow, sorry, I failed on that one. That's I don't okay. know if I you have best. one. Okay, okay. Okay, this is the big one. Your favorite New York City restaurant right now? Uh, the fav- My favorite s- restaurant right now is the one that 
I just always the last meal. My last meal last night was at Via Corona. So I'm going to yeah. say Via Corona. I was just there. Oh, there's an audience clapping the audience. Wow. How about you, Ruth? Atomics. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been in love with it yep. since the first week they opened. Yep, yep, yep. A few more. We're in this beautiful bookstore, your favorite cookbook of all time. Um, One of my favorites. How about that? I, well, there's many that I love, but I Zuni cookbook is always a great cookbook. That's a... Uh, me, it's probably Marcella Hazan. Yeah. Um, completely reliable, never lets you down. That's great. We're working on a Zuni cookbook feature right now, uh, a tribute to it. It's, well, it comes up the most on this question. I ask this to yeah. hundreds of people. It's just all around a great... Marcello's as well. Favorite recent cookbook discovery? This isn't really a cookbook, but um, I'm in love with Fuchsia Dun Dunlop's new book. It, it's, it's just, I mean, it, it's sort of like a real it's, leap forward in Chinese gastronomical history. It's like her past work. It's, a, it's, so, it's so great. Yeah, you're, it's a great call. Last one, your favorite sandwich. Baguette, butter, ham. Yum, jambon bear. Yep. That's, I think, the that's best. Good. Yeah. It's so good. Ruth? Peanut butter and jelly. Love it. Love it. Do you still eat them? All the time. Really? Let's unpack that. Is it crunchier, smooth, or creamy? Um, I, I like it better when it, it the crunchy. Crunchy? But it has to be red jam. Oh. I mean, the idea that you're going to put Blueberry or some other color jam on there apricot. is just... It <laughs> It's wonderful. Well, thank you. We're going to open up it for some few audience questions. Hi. Um, congratulations on your book. Thank you. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your process in uh, not so much the recipe development, but writing about each of these pieces and the challenges and uh, I don't want to say benefits, but exhilarations maybe of writing about things that are classic and have been written about before. So are you talking about like an introduction or are you talking about in the recipe itself? Both. <laughs> okay, so first of all, I want to let you know that I have never written my own cookbook, and I have always been insistent that my author is on prominently placed on the cover because I am not a writer. I am a, and I talk, I certainly personalize my recipes, and obviously the head notes all come from me, but Carolyn, who's done my last, say, five books, maybe six books, is uh, the person I've worked with the most. But I've always collaborated with with someone, and I think that, um, I think that the process of personalizing a recipe I really enjoy doing because I love to share either the inspiration, certainly the challenges, but also to point out the uniqueness. Um, of the recipe. And I really, I love to be able to um, talk about where the inspiration came from, because I don't like people to think that us as cooks um, are just solely creators and that we're not inspired by everybody else. So um, I love to tell the whole story and the history of where the thought came from of doing it, unless it's something that's completely original. Do you have any uh, favorite savory things in the book? Are there yes. any ones? Or okay, I do. I I I have a, a section on crackers. Um, I have a um, a ham and cheese croissant that I think is terrific. Well, I have two croissants in there, both of which 
I su- make croissants at home? No, I suggest buying them. Like with all the great, are you kidding? I told you. I know. I'd be lying if I said I do. No, there's so many great croissants now. You know, 20 years ago, maybe you had to make your own croissant, but you don't have to. Let the let somebody else mess up their kitchen and do it. So I'm talking about how to take this um, bakery bought croissant and um, to do two classic um, things with it. One is sweet with a an almond cream filling. The other one is one that I do ham and Gruyere, but also an, a really a rich bechamel in there. So it really uh, is a wonderful, wonderful um, and easy to put together savory. Um, I love the, uh, my version of the quiche, which is, or the quiche, is that what it's <laughs> my version of the quiche, which is low and, um, low and flat and rectangular. And I think that it's a great version. It has potato in it. Um, and, uh, what else did I bake that's savory that I think is is great? I love all the crackers and 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 a couple of the biscuits, the Parmesan scone. So there is a nice a section of savory as well as sweet. Is there someone over here and towards the back? Yeah. Hi. Um. First of all, I want to quickly introduce myself. Um. My name is Jack. I'm a huge, huge fan. And both of us are friends with Dario Cicchini because I go to Italy twice a year. Wow. I also know Sandra Lotti. Not sure if you remember her. Yes. Yeah, very close to Sandra. So I, my question is this. Here's the thing. Um, uh, the, on, um, the, the only two journalists in the entire room are very good at keeping secrets. And you mentioned the Four Seasons in LA, and I'm sure everyone else can keep your secrets. So is there anything at all you can tell us? F- four Seasons in Hawaii, you mean? Oh, you said Hawaii? Yeah, in Lanai. Oh, Lenai. Yes. Oh, okay. So, yeah. What can you tell us about that? And also maybe Mozza DC. Oh, very good. Boy, you're up on everything. Well, both of them are not secrets, so I can share it to everybody. In uh, in Lenai, there's a... um, Larry Ellison pretty much owns that island, but there's one... Well, actually, there's a very local hotel that's very small, but other than that, unlike the other islands, there's only one... A place to stay, and that's the Four Seasons. They have two uh, locations of it, one close on the beach and one up in the hills. And I'm opening up next to Nobu down by the beach. And then in Washington, D.C., I'm opening up in Georgetown at the old Dean and DeLuca space, I'm partnering with Stephen Starr. And that'll, that will be in the end of summer. Matt, do you want to close us? I'm going to thank uh, our, our the guests on here and just want to say it's such an honor to share a stage with both of you. Such a fan of your work and thank you so much. No, really, it means a lot. Thank you so much for coming out and Christina will tell you how you can buy this book and have it signed. Yes, if you want to buy a book, head up to the front of the store to the cash registers. We have uh, copies of The Cookie That Changed My Life and Save Me the Plums. And Ruth and Nancy and Matt, thank you once again on behalf of the bookstore. Thank you, guys. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.